Okay, then we have reading from God's word, and I'll be reading, and I'm going to turn sideways so I can see. And we are reading from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And then reading from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. And that's the word of God this morning. We are happy to invite, um, happy to have Tim Peterson with us again today. Tim is a part of the Bethel family from many years back, and Tim is a special part of my family as well. So, Tim, we're happy to have you with us again today, and if you want to take over, I'll go sit down and be quiet. I am Tim Hoopert. Uh, I know that feeling. It's easy to make a mistake. 
or call somebody by a different name or you called me Tim Peterson. You know, I, I don't even know if you're here today. Well, thank you for uh, inviting me back again. I guess that has uh, something to say. And uh, I know I've uh, received a few, well, what are they, accolades they call them? People enjoyed what I had to say or whatever. And, uh, but I just appreciate being able to be here and come back to my home church. Sometimes, you know, you're, uh, you're not even, what's the scripture say? You're not welcome in your hometown. Jesus wasn't welcome in his hometown, but I'm glad to be here. The sanctuary looks beautiful, the candle, the cross, the, the tree, it's, uh, it looks very nice. You folks have done a nice job. My, the title of my sermon today is Believe, Trust, and Walk. And uh, when I think back before I was born again, uh, a term like that, born again, I didn't know, even know what that meant. And that's one reason that I think you can believe and not be born again or converted or enlightened, or however you want to say it. Because sometimes you ask people, do you believe in God? Yes, I believe. About three weeks ago, I was thinking, what to bring to you? And, uh, you know, I spend a little time, so uh, I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and these three words are in my head. Believe, trust, and walk. So I, I get up, I walk out to my desk and I walk, write these three words down. And for me, I was contemplating, is this what God wants me to share? Is this what he wants me to talk about? To believe, to trust, to walk. Now you can attach, believe in God, trust in God, walk with the Lord. I mean, that'll come out here a little bit later. I talked to a friend of mine in Florida, an old board member, about just shortly after that, it was probably a couple weeks ago, and we were having a kind of a back and forth, and he shared a, a stat with me that he knew, and he said, 80% of the people in the United States say they believe. 80%. But he said, you know what? Only 10% go to church. And a few, probably another month ago, I, I shared, and we talked about Pierce County a little bit in retrospect, how many churches have closed. So you see we got 80% of the people that say they believe, 10% go to church, and we have churches closing. Many, many, many of them. Just a thought. Our culture, the culture that you and I share and live in, is making it, or has made it, that Sunday is just another day for personal activities. And that's a danger for us that Sunday becomes just another day for personal activities. So we will start out by defining these words, and then we'll go into the text to see what these words have to say, and uh, we'll try to put something, some thoughts in our heart that God could use. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you love us, and we heard that in these songs this morning already that your grace is sufficient. So I just pray, Lord, that uh, you would give us ears to hear this morning, eyes to see, and that the Spirit of God would just awaken in our hearts, empower us. Thank you, Lord God. 
May the words that I get to share be your words and minister to these people. So we just thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. So to define believe is to consider to be true or honest. So if we're going to believe in something, we want it to be true or honest. We want to accept the word of evidence. To hold as an opinion. That's to believe. You, you hold something to be as an opinion when you believe something. To accept, accept something as true. To have a firm, wholehearted religious conviction or persuasion. And the first verse that popped into my head was John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus said that to the people of his day. To regards the existence of God as a fact. To believe. So, when you, you believe, you have to firmly get this in your heart that you believe something. To trust to a firm belief in the reliability or strength of someone or something. So we have a belief in the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and it's reliable. We have a hope in the gospel, we, one of which we place our confidence. We trust the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We have confidence in it. And then I came across this definition for trust, and this is a powerful definition, I think. I think in one that all of us probably can relate to. To trust means to rely on another person because you feel safe with them and have confidence that they will not hurt you or violate you. Trust is the foundation of relationships because it allows you to be vulnerable and open up to the person without having to defensively protect yourself. The baseline, trust. How can we live or function without it? And there's a lot of people in this room that have been married longer than I have, and I've been, I think we're going on 44 years. My sister came to hear what I had to say. She's probably critiquing me a little bit. But just the, the, the fact that we trust our spouse, that relationship between the husband and the wife, those two spouses, think of the trust that you have. It means to rely on another person because you feel safe with them and have confidence that they will not hurt you. Ain't that a comforting feeling? To, or violate you. Trust is the foundation of relationships. Then we talk about walk, walking with the Lord. This is a little harder to define because it is in the context of believing and trust that we walk with the Lord. Walking in itself is involuntary. We just walk. One foot goes in front of the other. We all have been physically walking for years. We don't have to even think about it. We just walk. Until you get maybe a little older and uh, you have to start thinking about getting one foot in front of the other. Lee is smiling. Maybe he's getting there. This is the picture I yearn to give you, encourage you to, is to be able to do this with the Lord. That you would be able to walk with him. That you would be able to walk in his way. 
to walk with belief and trust in the Lord Jesus. We can all do this. He has given us all that we need. It says in 1 Peter, for life and godliness. He's given us the power and the strength to do this. We use this terminology as Christians that I, some of this stuff I've just shared, like to walk with him, to walk in his way, you know, we think about these things. But we use this terminology around Christians, but do people who don't work, we don't work with or associate with, do they understand what that means? I don't think so. And I had to put that in there because I think sometimes as believers, we use a lot of Christian jargon and then people don't really know what we're saying. Oh, I'm full of the Holy Ghost, you say to somebody. Well, somebody might not know what that means. We will explore this in the Old and New Testament together. We will build a case on how this is going to work in our lives. And I'd like to start in Genesis 12 with Abraham. It's a great example. In Genesis 12:1, the Lord establishes the promise with Abraham that he will be a great nation. Abraham needed to be obedient. He needed to believe and trust the word of the Lord. Leave your land, Yahweh says. Go to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, he says. And I will bless you and make your name great. And to shorten the story, because we could probably spend an hour there, Abraham went. He, was, he, he believed God, Yahweh, or the Lord at the time, and he went with Sarai, and the whole clan, all the family, all the aunts, the uncles, the cousins, the grandparents, the neighbors, the friends, they all went. They all gathered together, and they followed Abraham to a land that he was going to be shown. Now, I know Abraham had faith in God to do this, but all those other people had to think, boy, is he hearing correctly? We're going to just start wandering around and follow him? That's what he's, he's asking this whole group of people to do. You know, sometimes we don't know how large these groups of people are. I think when they left Egypt and followed Moses to the Red Sea, they said there was probably a million-plus people in that group. So to picture a, a million-plus people leaving a city and walking and taking all their goods with them and heading for the Red Sea and crossing it, it's a large, large group. Abraham was 75 years old. He believed, he trusted, he walked with God. He's going to be a great nation, and he has no children. And he's 75 years old. The God of heaven confirms again that his descendants will be like the stars of heaven, like the sand of the seashore. That picture, I'm sure, is hard for him to grasp at 75 years old, and the clock is ticking. The thing I'm trying to get across is that Abraham followed God, he believed God, and he trusted in all that he said, even at 75, and he walked with God. But in human fashion, Abraham and Sarai had a bump in the road. Sarai, she wants to rush things along and suggest that they use the servant girl to get these descendants going. This was a mistake. It was kind of getting out of God's will here. An expression of not trusting the voice of the Lord. They were impatient. And I'm sure many of us have been there. 
rushing what God wanted us to do with our lives, making the wrong turn, doing something that uh, we later find out we just didn't think that was quite God's will for us. But praise God that the grace of God fits into all of this. And God forgives, he redirects, he takes care of us. I think about Rome Paul in Romans 7. He says, why do I do the things I do that I don't want to do, but I do them? And then Paul goes, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin? So even Paul, the great apostle, struggled with following God at times. As the promise of God comes to reality, Isaac is born. Then, as far as the account goes on, God asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac on an altar. Now, a lot of time has passed, and they've raised this son. I don't know if Isaac was 10 or if he was 13, but now God is going to put Abraham to another test. He says, take your son to the mountain and sacrifice him for me. So far, Abraham believes. He trusts, and he walks with God leaves his homeland, and follows God to a land that I will show you. Now the Mount Sinai experience. Look at the progression Abraham hears from God. Consider the outcome and believes God, trusts God, and walks with God step by step to the mountain, believing that God will keep his promise. Can you imagine what is happening to this guy's emotions, his thoughts about his son? He's going to literally sacrifice his son to the Lord. He needed to believe that if he trusted God through the whole event, that God would have to raise Isaac from the dead. Or some other way he's going to raise this great nation. The The word tells us that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Believe, trust, and walk. Abraham did that. And we know the end of the story because when he raised the knife to slay him, God stopped him and said, I know, I know your heart now. That's, God wants to know all of our hearts and he wants to know that we, can, we trust him. With Christmas in the future, we look to Mary and Joseph and the miracle child, Jesus I think in many ways it's hard for us to get into the skin of Joseph. In Matthew, as we read today, uh, Joseph, in Matthew, he was going to put Mary, divorce Mary. But Mary had heard, as the, Luke makes the account, the angel of the Lord came and convinced her that everything was going to be all right. Mary was trusting of what she was told. Could you imagine what she was going through, going to conceive by the Holy Spirit? And if she conceives and she's not married, she could look forward to a stoning. Joseph Joseph is told in a dream to treat her right, to take her as his beloved, as his wife, as his betrothed. It didn't start out that way, though. He was going to quietly divorce her so she would not be shamed. Then the Lord spoke to him through that angel, and he changed his mind and believed. He was convinced. His belief was turned into trust. The actions of Joseph show us that he trusted the words 
the message of the angel, and his actions show us that he was willing to walk with God. Joseph and Mary both receive a word from the angel of the Lord, a word of direction, and they believe. They trust in the word, and they both walk in it. They go from Nazareth to Bethlehem to Egypt. They go from conceived, born in a stable, to safety in Egypt. They believed, they trusted, they walked. We are asked over and over again in the Scripture, the Word, the Bible, to believe. The Word is used over 143 times as believe. 116 times as believed in the New Testament. The authors of the New Testament are trying to get the point across. Just like John 14, 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Belief will calm a troubled heart. John 6, 35 says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus promises to feed us spiritually and also that we would not thirst for the world but would fill us if we believe. It's a powerful thing that the Lord can take the temptation, the satisfaction that the world offers away from us. You need to just trust in the Lord. I think that if we believe, we need then to trust the Lord with the leading of our life. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will what? Make straight your paths. So that just tells you that there's paths and God will lead you on the correct ones. Be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. If we believe and trust God, the Holy Spirit will work in our life. In Acts 16.31 it says, Believe and be saved. In Mark 1.15 it says, Repent and believe. Action is involved in the belief. Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. In John, 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. We definitely need to believe. Back to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, just to, for a second, we need to trust the Lord, lean on the Lord, understanding. We don't want to rely on our own. We need to acknowledge Him and look for those straight paths. In Jeremiah 17, 7, it says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. In Psalm 56, 3, it says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And I've been afraid a few times. Isaiah 43, 2 says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. He loves us and he cares for us, people. That is why we need to trust in the Lord, because he loves us and he cares for us and he wants to bless us. Walking with the Lord takes both believing and trusting. The definition, I just want to repeat it one more time, to trust means to rely on another person. We need to rely on the Lord because you feel safe with them and have confidence they will not hurt you or violate you. We can trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because he, he does not have harm for us. He has only good for us. 
Trust is the foundation of the relationship because it allows you to be vulnerable. When you come into the, these, the halls and the walls of this church, we should be able to be vulnerable with one another. If we have hurt, if we have problems in life, if we're struggling with something, what better place to bring it into the, the house of the Lord that we could be vulnerable and open without having to defensively protect ourselves. I hope you have people in your life like that. And usually we don't have a congregation of people or a host of people that we can trust in, but we do have a, a few people in our life that we can trust. And I'm sure that those names come to your thoughts. They come to mine. Somebody I can call, somebody I know won't gossip, somebody I know that won't judge, somebody that cares. So when we walk with the Lord, praying, reading the operator's manual of the Bible, fellowshipping with believers, it makes it easier to walk with the Lord. And what does it mean to walk with the Lord? For me, it means when we have the influence of the Word of God, knowing that we have the presence of the Spirit, those powers help us, guide us to make decisions, to follow the leading of the Lord. Now, you know, this is not just in your, uh, quote, spiritual life that you're looking for guidance and direction. Maybe you're a businessman. Maybe you need some direction in, in your business. Maybe you're a parts guy like Dave was for years and years. And God wants to use you on the other side of the counter. You know, God gives us all kinds of opportunities to do things. And he wants to guide us. He wants to give us what? That straight path. He says he'll make straight paths for your life. He wants to lead you and guide you. The Bible tells us that the way is narrow and few will find it. My friends, follow God. Listen for his voice. In closing, I just want to share a little thing out of 1 Kings, the account of Elijah. It's a, it's a wonderful account of Elijah. Elijah, he's got all this boldness and all this strength built up. He must have been just eager to take on the prophets of Baal, which he does. But when he gets all done, there's all these prophets of Baal are dead. The, the sacrifice is completely consumed. God rains down fire, consumes the, the offering, the water, the stones, the altar, everything. It's all gone. And now Elijah, I don't know what happened to him. Did he fall into depression or what? But he got filled with fear and he ran because he found out Jezebel, the prophet, was after him to kill him. And the Lord wants to speak to him, but he ran and hid in a cave. It says, then, then he came, there he came to a cave, and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, why, what are you doing here, Elijah? Can you just imagine you're, you're running from God, and, and God says, what are you doing? Why, where are you, why are you hiding? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, 
and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And then he says, I've been very jealous for the Lord. He was still in fear, but the Lord was trying to bring some comfort to him. Reminds me of a scripture in Psalm 46.10 where it says, Be still and know that I am God. I have worked at this many times to be quiet before the Lord, but sometimes the noise is so loud in the quiet one cannot hear. The Lord wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to me in the quiet of your heart. He wants to lead you. He wants to make straight paths for you. Believe in him. Trust in him. Walk with him. I'm going to finish what I have to say after Susan does a little reading. It'll give you something to think about. We're going to do a reading by, uh, since it's Christmas, and I asked if it was okay, because we're going to take, I usually usually take too much time anyway. But this is called The Intimate Moment with Mary and Joseph by Ken Geyer. So it'll give you a, a nice little picture on how God works. So believing, trusting, and walking sometimes doesn't look real spiritual, but even in the practicalities it is. And so we're going to look for just a minute at Mary and Joseph. For the census, the royal family had to travel 85 miles. Joseph walks while Mary, nine months pregnant, rides side saddle on a donkey, feeling every jolt, every rut, every rock in the road. By the time they arrive, the small hamlet of Bethlehem is swollen from an influx of travelers. The inn is packed, people feeling lucky if they were able to even negotiate a small space on the floor. And now it's late, and everyone is asleep, and there's no room. But fortunately, the innkeeper is not all shekels and mites. True, his stable is crowded with guests' animals, but if they could squeeze out a little privacy there, they were welcome to it. So Joseph looks over at Mary, whose attention is concentrated on fighting a contraction. We'll take it, he says. The night is still when Joseph creaks open the stable door, and as he does, a chorus of barn animals make discordant note of the intrusion. The stench is pungent, and it's humid, and there have not been enough hours in the day to tend the guests, let alone the livestock. A small oil lamp lent to them by the innkeeper flickers to dance shadows on the walls, a disquieting place for a woman in the throes of childbirth. 
She's far from home, far from family, far from what she expected for her firstborn. But Mary makes no complaint. It's a relief just to finally get off the donkey. She leans back against the wall. Her feet are swollen. Her back is aching. Contractions now growing stronger and closer together. Joseph, Joseph's eyes dart around the stable. Not a minute to lose. Quickly, a feeding trough would have to be made to do for a crib, and hay would have to serve for a mattress. Blankets? Blankets? Oh, his robe, that would do. And those rags that they hung out to dry would help. A gripping con contra contraction doubles Mary over and sends him racing for a bucket of water. The birth would not be easy, e easy either for the mother or the child, for every royal privilege for this son ended at conception. A scream from Mary knifes through the calm of that silent night, and Joseph returns, breathless, water sloshing over the edges of his wooden bucket. The top of the baby's head has already pushed its way into the world. Sweat pours from Mary's con contorted face as Joseph, the most unlikely midwife in all Judea, rushes to her side. The involuntary contractions are not enough, and Mary has to push with all of her strength, almost as if God were refusing to come into the world without her help. Joseph places a garment beneath her, and with a final push and a long sigh, her labor is over. The Messiah has arrived. Elongated head from the constricting journey through the birth canal, light skin as the pigment would take days or even weeks to surface, mucus in his ears and nostrils, wet and slippery from the amniotic fluid, the son of the Most High God, umbilically tied to a lowly Jewish girl. The baby chokes and coughs, and Joseph instinctively turns him over and clears his throat. And then he cries, and Mary lays him on her chest, and his helpless little cry subsides. His tiny head bobs on the unfamiliar terrain, and this will be the first thing the infant king learns. Mary can feel his racing heartbeat as he gropes to nurse. Deity, nursing from a young maiden's breast, could anything be more puzzling or more profound? Joseph sits exhausted, silent, full of wonder, and the baby finishes in sighs, the divine word reduced to a few little unintelligible sounds. And then for the first time, his eyes fix on his mother, Deity, straining to focus, the light of the world, squinting. Tears pool in her eyes. She touches his tiny hand, a hand that once sculpted a mountain range, clings to hers. She looks up at Joseph, and through a watery veil, their souls touch. He crowds closer, cheek to cheek with his betrothed. Together they stare in awe at the baby Jesus, whose heavy eyelids begin to close. It's been a long journey, and the king is tired. And so, with barely a ripple of notice, God stepped into the warm lake of humanity without protocol, without pretension. Where you would have expected angels, there were only flies. And where you would have expected heads of state, there were only donkeys. 
a few haltered cows, a nervous ball of sheep, a tethered camel, and a curious group of barn mice. Except for Joseph, there was no one to share Mary's pain or her joy. Yes, there were angels announcing the Savior's arrival, but only to a band of blue-collared shepherds. And yes, a magnificent star shone in the sky to mark his birthplace, but only three foreigners bothered to look up and follow it. Thus, in the little town of Bethlehem, that one silent night, the royal birth of God's Son tiptoed quietly, quietly by, as the world slept. Maybe you're there right now that you're walking with the Lord, you're believing, you're trusting. Maybe you're not. Maybe you got questions. We just want to offer, if you want prayer this morning, somebody will be up here to pray for you, for anything. And then I just want to wish you a Merry Christmas and uh, a blessed New Year. It's a special place to be here in the house of the Lord with all of you. So, Father, we just pray that you would bless this, these people, that you would guide them, that you would direct them. And we just thank you, Lord, for your grace during this Christmas season where we can say we welcome Emmanuel. Amen. Amen.